Amen. As you remain standing, I'd like to pray and then we'll dismiss our kids. Father, please bless these young ones. We pray that they would grow up to say amen to the things that we just confessed and sang and that the relationship with you would be one that's easy and beautiful and real and dynamic. So Lord, bless them continue to worship in the ark as they hear about Jesus and your word. We ask that you would just bless them and keep them in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, kiddos, as you guys have a seat, kiddos, head on out. All right. Good to see everyone. It's going to be good to see you fanning yourself also. I think it's a little bit better this week than last week, but hey, you live in Texas, so you know what? Comes with the territory. I'm Adam. I'm a pastor here at this church, and I'm glad to see you. If it's your first time, welcome. Good to see you, and uh, talk to me. As uh, If that's all right, I'd love to say hello. So, at this moment, I'd like to ask you a question, and that question is this. Has Jesus ever knocked your socks off? Now, if you're not wearing socks, it's okay. If you're not wearing socks, I want you to imagine this, like you're in an 80s or a 90s sitcom, and you've got the Gospels in front of you, and you're sitting down, you take a sip of water or Coke or whatever it is you're sipping, and then you read something in the Gospels, something that Jesus said or something that Jesus did, and you go, what? Like the best Saved by the Bell spit take you've ever seen. Is there something or some time you can remember when you said, what? Is there something, some time that you've heard a thousand times, but it's really the first time? Or perhaps you've seen it with the right lenses on. Has Jesus ever knocked your socks off? Have you ever done the greatest Saved by the Bell spit take when you just look at the things he says and does? And if you haven't been there, that's okay. I would encourage you to really give him a chance to knock your socks off. And if it's been so long, perhaps we're just looking at Jesus, the things he's said and done, and we're kind of just, hmm, because we hear it or we say, I believe it, but it really doesn't have a whole lot to do with my life today. Maybe Jesus is reserved for the life after this life. And so I have other things to think about today. Well, I can remember one time that Jesus knocked my socks off pretty vividly. And it was right before uh, we became parents. And uh, Amy was pregnant with Emma. And we thought, you know what? Hmm. I don't know much about being a parent. But as I understand it, it's going to be hard to sleep for a little while. So let's go rest. It's going to be hard to get a moment of peace and quiet, so let's go get a moment of peace and quiet. And so what we did was we took a day to go sit in front of a lake in East Texas, and we just kind of sat and chilled. We took our Bible, we took um, a journal, and Amy took a nap. Um, and so it was good. It's good to rest and do this, because we were right. Kids kind of screw everything up in the best way, in the best way possible. They're little blessings that ruined my life. But we got out, 
And I had brought with me not just a Bible, but a Bible I just got for Christmas, and it's called an illustrated Bible. And no, it's not the kid's book with pictures. It's a tradition in which many artists would be commissioned to take the text of the scriptures, and they would paint in the margins, or they would do a beautiful front piece to the cover. They would take letters, and they would inlay them and set them, and it would be a way of illuminating the great text that's there. And the one I got was done by a modern artist, and it was the four gospels. And the modern artist would take places of like the crucifixion and just take in the text a giant red brushstroke and just mark the page so with what would represent blood. It was stunning, it was beautiful, it was really cool. But Jesus, in his words, on that day, actually knocked my socks off any more, way more than the artwork ever could. I sat down with my new little illustrated Gospels, and I said, I'm going to read Mark. I'm going to sit down and program my day of rest, and I'm going to read the whole Gospel of Mark. And I didn't even make it through the first chapter. Jesus knocked my socks off, I took a sip of my water, and I spit take all over my beautiful thing because I stopped dead in my tracks because the words that I had heard were so new, so radical, and my socks were blown completely off, and there were these words in this translation here. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming what? The gospel of God. And saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the what? Gospel. Now I had grown up in the church. I was in seminary and I thought the gospel was something that Paul preached or pastors preached. And the gospel was something you heard at youth camp. And the gospel in a nutshell was Jesus died for your sins. He was raised again. And if you believe in him, you can go to heaven when you die. And that's not wrong. But it's not the whole picture. And what I mean by that, and the reason why this knocked my socks off so much, was because Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel, but Jesus had not died yet for my sins yet. He had not been raised from the dead yet. And he was talking to people saying, guess what? The kingdom of God is right now, not way long then. Jesus knocked my socks off and it began to take shape in me that the gospel is something not just for life after death, but Jesus preached a gospel for all of life, today, tomorrow, and on into perpetuity. And it was a different kind of gospel that I had ever heard. And it's a gospel that is at the center of our church. And I'd like to hand it over now to Brian McLaren, uh, who is an unusual voice, but he really articulates really what we're after when we think about gospel in this church. And he can do it much better in three minutes than I could in 30. So if you guys would look up here, and this is a video by a group called The Work of the People, and he's going to help walk us through the way Jesus knocked my socks off, and it's all about Jesus and his kingdom message that is so central to our church. Let's look. You know, uh, a lot of us think that the purpose Jesus came was to try to help us get to heaven after we die. Well, I'd like to raise some serious questions about that based on the New Testament. 
I'd like to suggest Jesus didn't come here to tell us how to get to heaven after we die primarily. He came to talk to us about how the kingdom of heaven can happen here on earth while we're here and when our children and our grandchildren are here. Uh, maybe what we should do is we should get Jesus to uh, edit the Lord's Prayer. So we should edit the Lord's Prayer to sound more like the way we think. It should say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May we go to heaven after we die. May we leave here and go to your kingdom in heaven, which is unlike earth, because there your will is done. But that's not what the, the Lord's Prayer says. It says, May your kingdom come here. May your will be done down here on earth as it is in heaven. Very different understanding of what Jesus is about when we see his message centered on the kingdom. But what does that mean? What does the kingdom of God mean? Well, it, it changes the way you look at people who are different. You stop rich, look at the poor in a different way. The poor look at the rich in a different way. Uh, people look at people of other races and other religions in a different way. You can't look at someone of a different political party the same way and be be faithful to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God makes you look at creation in a different way. You look at the trees and the sky and the air and the water in a different way. This is now my father's world. It's my father's uh, beautiful artwork that I, it's not just natural resources for me to make a buck off of. If you're taking the kingdom of God seriously, you look at peace and reconciliation and conflict and war in a very different way. Uh, it's easy if you're in the kingdoms of this world to bomb people and kill people and uh, throw them in prison and throw away the key. If you're part of the kingdom of God, you can't treat other people that way. You have to look at it from a new perspective, a new point of view, higher point of view. Jesus said things like, if you give a cup of cold water to somebody in my name, if you see someone who's in prison and you go to visit them, if you see someone who's naked and you give them clothing, if you welcome a little child, you know, in those moments, God's will is being done on earth because God cares about that little child and God cares about that forgotten person in prison. When somebody loves their enemy, they're living by the way of the kingdom. In, on the human level, people see an enemy and they hate them. You love your friends, you hate your enemies. But when people love their enemies, they're manifesting the kingdom of God. When rich people decide that they're not going to use their wealth and power to keep aggrandizing themselves and improving their own portfolio. But when they reach a point, they say, gosh, I have enough. And there are people in such need. Now I'm going to use my money and my time and my energy and my voice and my vote on behalf of people who are suffering and poor and oppressed and forgotten. At that point, I'm not just a citizen of this world. At that point, I'm acting as a citizen of God's kingdom. I'm living out the way and the teaching and the example of Jesus. Those are some of the things, some of the ways the kingdom of God is a liberating and yet disturbing uh, message for people today. He said, at that moment, I'm living in the reality of the kingdom of God for us in our church. Tonight, as we look at a believing church, we need to understand that Jesus and his message of the kingdom are at the center of everything we are and everything we do. Jesus and his message of the kingdom of God is squarely in the center of our church who believes in Jesus and his message. And everything else radiates outward from that.
Would you turn to Matthew chapter 28? We're going to look at a familiar passage that you've known as the Great Commission. And really, we limit the Great Commission to just a go out and be missionaries kind of message. But I think the, the Great Commission really encapsulates who Jesus is and what Jesus' followers are called to do. And what have we been talking about? What do we aim to talk about in this series? Our church. Each week we're looking at two questions, and those questions are this. Who are we called to be? And then once we start to get our arms around that, then we can look and say, now, what are we called to do? The problem in so many of our lives and in ministry is we want to care more about what it is we do and less about who we're called to be. And I think our text tonight will help us get at what it means to be the people of God gathered around Jesus and then getting up and following him and proclaiming the reign of his kingdom to the world. You there in Matthew 28? You with us tonight? We're called to be a people gathered around Jesus following Jesus together, and proclaiming the reign of Jesus to the world. That is my suggestion for who we're called to be and what we're called to do. So then, if tonight is a believing church, what is it that we believe about the gospel? If you're a note taker, before we get into our text, let's clear up our phrases and our terms. For you, the gospel is the good news that Jesus is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. And all people are invited to live under his gracious reign. The gospel is the good news. Gospel is a word that means good news. Good news. Jesus is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. That's not bad news. That's great news. Because Jesus fully reveals the God who is love. You want to know what God looks like? We talked last week. He looks like Jesus. God revealed himself in Jesus. Jesus has made God known to the world. And it's good news that God has made Jesus the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. It's also news and it's not advice. Advice is something like, you should accept Jesus as your personal Savior or you will die and go to hell. That's advice. You should. News is, guess what? There is a new order, a new king, and it's unlike any king you've ever seen in your life. News that is good is you don't have to follow the bullies of this world who impose their will on others through violence, war, or economic oppression. Good news is Jesus came and flipped all of that upside down, and he lifts up the humble and poor and broken and sick. And he does it in a way that is what God is, and that is loving, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and also just. Our king will set things right, and you are invited into his kingdom. There is a train in your life, and it is 
following the way of the world and you as a king. But the news is there is a new king in town and you can hop on board his train, his program, his kingdom. It is the good news that Jesus is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth and all people, all people are invited to live under his gracious reign. Did you catch that word live? It's in all capital letters on my notes. It should be in all capital letters or underlined and highlighted and circled in yours. We put Jesus and the gospel at the center of our church and we call it our core practice. Do you know our core practices, Providence people? The three B's to success in your life, your best life now, ready? What are they? Believe, belong, bless. I'll do you one better. How about believing, belonging, Blessing. Believing, as we say in our church, is meant to convey a continuous, ongoing commitment to the gospel. Watch. Living in the reality that Jesus is the reigning Lord and we are citizens of His kingdom. You see, we are to live under His reign, not just punch our ticket and sit and wait. That is good advice. That is not good news. That is not gospel. The primary thing we sense as a believing church is that Jesus in his message is for our life now and it is at the center of all we are and all we do and everything else just falls in line and radiates outward. But we would say believing informs our behavior. It's not enough to just read the Apostles' Creed and confess it or sing it in a song. A believing church is a church that is living out their confessions. We call it functional Christianity. Our church cares more about are you living under the reign and reality of what you profess to believe? And we all want to say, yes, of course. But think about our day-to-day life. Think about who it is we are following Think about what needs we're meeting. Think about the actions that we're doing. Are we living in light of our King and following Him? See, the creed for our church is the bare minimum, what we confess to believe to be in, right? This is how you believe rightly. And every church, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Episcopalian, you name it, that can say amen to the creed, they're in. It's bare minimum. You are a Christian if. Now, our convictions as our church, the Anabaptist convictions you find on our website, are the flavor of who we are. They're our doctrine. Doctrine are things that can evolve and are things that kind of help us fill in the blanks, but really, they're in process for all your life. Raise your hand if you believe everything about God today that you did 10 years ago. Nobody? The creed is bare minimum. Our, con- our convictions, our doctrine is in process. But Jesus and the gospel are central. Let's look at our text in Matthew 28. You'll see that Jesus is central to the very first community of disciples. Just like us. Let's begin in verse 16. It's not on the screen. Jesus died and was raised and he told the eleven to meet him on a mountain. Verse 16. The eleven disciples went to Galilee. That's where it all started to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. 
When they saw him, they worshipped him. They bowed down. They said, I can't believe it. Here he is. But what? Some doubted. Wait a minute. Aren't these the superstar MVPs, follower of Jesus? Some doubted. Really what that means there is some hesitated. Some saw Jesus. They gathered near to Jesus and they acted like my three-year-old daughter who approached a six-foot-tall beaver at a truck stop in East Texas. She was fired up to go to Bucky's. Who's been to Bucky's? The greatness of Bucky's. The best restrooms this side of the Mississippi. Bucky's is awesome, and the Bucky's mascot, you see his little beaver face on the big yellow sign, is a large beaver, and Emma was fired up to meet Bucky, the beaver. She talked about it for so many exits. Oh, are we going to see a, what? Is this, is this for real? We're going to see a beaver? What's a beaver anyway? Is that that cartoon? Because there's like a million like stinking uh, billboards like Bucky's is 4,000 miles away. You're almost there. And she was so excited. But when we park it with the other million cars and we fight our way in through the doors, when the six foot tall Bucky is actually standing there, she hesitated, and she looked at me and said, <laughs> that's, not re- that's not really a beaver, is it? That's not real, is it? Uh, and I said, yeah, yeah, let's go look at it. She, and she clung onto me for dear life. She was like the disciples who were on fire. They were believing that Jesus is who he says he is, but when it really came down to it, and he was actually raised from the dead, they approached him with the others and they say yeah but is it really him could it really be they gathered together those who had followed him and they wondered should we be worshiping him should we be bowing down has he really knocked our socks off and surprised us in a way that we would have never expected he died but he's alive is he really God's king in God's kingdom this message he had been talking about for years some bowed and some hesitated some in this place tonight are gathering to bow down to worship some in this place tonight are gathering with more questions than they have answers some of them are gathering and they're hesitating because is Jesus really who he says he is can Jesus really do what he says he can do is Jesus really worth my life today not just my life then we come like the disciples then, as a church struggling to believe in Jesus and his message. But watch, we're all gathered tonight around the mountain where Jesus is. And I'm saying to you, it's okay, come. You have questions, I don't have answers, but come. You have doubts, I will not explain them away, but come. You have questions about belief, I'm suggesting to you tonight a believing church starts with looking to Jesus, gathering around Jesus, trusting in his message just enough to where you let all the other questions sort of fill themselves out. We've been a last stop church since we began. What do I mean by a last stop church? It's not just people gathered here tonight who are kind of on the fence with Jesus like he's a six foot tall stuffed beaver. We've been a last church for people who've been recovering Baptists or lapsed Catholics or I've never been in a church in my life kind of people and this is kind of my last shot. 
Is this who we are? Is this who we've been? But what has united us, what keeps us going, is building everything around Jesus and his message. What unites our church is a commitment to keep Jesus and the gospel central. Are you still okay being a church that hesitates or worships around Jesus and say, I may not make sense of X, Y, and Z in the Old Testament. I may not make sense of X, Y, and Z in Revelation. But I'm submitting to you, Pastor, that if I keep my eyes on Jesus and trying to live in the reality of his kingdom, the rest will work itself out. I'm okay to belong to a believing church like that. Are you? Because I could download all of the information for you, but really it's just going to come back down to Jesus. And do you trust that he has authority in your life? Is he enough in your life to receive your life? Look what he says in verse 18. Even when they're hesitating, even when they're doubting, what does Jesus do? Mine says, then Jesus came to them. If you continue to come, I believe that if you continue to come and gather to Jesus, Jesus in due time will come to you. That's what I believe. I believe that you think you're far from Jesus and he is much closer than you think. You may feel like you've got to take a thousand steps, and I think if you take half of one, Jesus is right there behind you, and he comes to you, and he says to you, welcome, glad you're here. What he said to these people who gathered around him, he says, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. They came near, Jesus came near, and we keep Jesus and his message central because God has given him all authority in heaven and on earth. His king, his kingdom, God has pleased, was pleased to give all authority to Jesus. You know, I think about what, uh, what it means to believe. And I think if we start with Jesus and we can say He is the reigning Lord, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Him, we can partner with churches like the Rock or the community center like the Rock and Freeman Heights. If we don't believe in all the other external things, but we can say, yeah, Jesus is Lord, He's got all authority, and we want more of His kingdom in our community, then we can believe just enough to get the job done. We can believe just enough that Jesus is who he says he is. All authority has been given to him. Just enough to go feed the hungry. I don't care what their finer points of of end time theology is. Because we can believe that Jesus has all authority and he's called us to go clothe the naked. Or in a month, give school supplies to a hundred kids that can't buy school supplies. I don't care what they think about women in leadership. And I hope and trust in our relationship so far, they don't care what we think about women in leadership. We can believe just enough that Jesus has authority. We're trying to follow him together, and we can believe just enough to get the job done. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And because he has all authority and he has called us out to go and proclaim good news, not just for life then, but life today, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You are disciples. How did you learn how to be a disciple? You were with me. 
you learned from me. Now go be like me and invite more to imitate me. How do you make a disciple? That's easy. You put them in a Sunday school class and they do this eight-week curriculum, disciple, boom, done. Discipleship is being with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to be like Jesus. So we need to go out and as we feed the hungry and as we clothe the naked, we need to say, guess what? We're just imitating this guy we saw 2,000 years ago, touching and healing and feeding and clothing and walking and living life and calling them to life in him. We go to the drug addicts and we follow and imitate Jesus to the people who are broken, thieves, uh, sex addicts. And he says, hey, there's another way. Go and sin no more. You're mine now. He goes and he calls people like Zacchaeus down from the tree and says, I'm going to go eat with you. Therefore, go make disciples who want to go eat with people who are very different than themselves. Is your table looking like the kind of table that Jesus would have gathered at? Do you see how really to go and make disciples is firstly about living the life that Jesus lived and very little about downloading information into people's minds. Disciples were ones who were called by Jesus to follow him and imitate his life. And watch, along the way, they heard more and more about his message. They learned more and more about how he was living under God's reign in God's kingdom. And they learned and they followed and they learned and they followed and they did it together. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. You can hang all your weight on me and you can go and make more disciples of all nations. So we're told here as a church that keeps Jesus and his message central. We see three tasks for a church that is gathered around Jesus, believing in Jesus and his kingdom message. The first one we just talked about was make disciples. Go and make disciples. Now a disciple is someone that is learning, right? And following. But they're also born. They're born and they're built. There is a moment when Jesus calls you, invites you to say, am I your Lord? Am I your King? And when you say yes and step out, you're born. But then comes a life, a daily reality of living in light of God's reign. Disciples are born and they're built. They're imitators of Jesus' life and they're learning more and more of his message and we are called to go and teach and preach the message and way of Jesus. That's the first task for a community built and centralized on Jesus and his message. The second thing, what do you see there? These are disciples that we are baptizing. As you go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We baptize in this church disciples. We don't baptize babies because babies can't learn and imitate and follow Jesus. But disciples can. And we say in this church, if you're 16 or 60, if you are willing to die for Jesus, which I believe 16-year-olds can, I believe 
15-year-olds can. I believe, I don't know what age, but if they can be in parts of the world with a gun to their head and say, Jesus, you're my Lord and you're enough, then I think that we can dunk them in the waters and die to themselves. We baptize disciples. And we bring them up out of the water and into new life, and they adopt the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. To go and imitate His life and proclaim His message. That's what we do in our church. We believe that Jesus in His message is central. And He's called us to make disciples, to baptize disciples, and watch. Verse 20. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I want you to imagine for a moment that your spiritual theological, emotional, any kind of old life is here on this table. And I want you to imagine that every little thing as you're teaching and learning the way of Jesus and His message is another little shade of uh, meaning to that or knowledge to that as you study the Scriptures, as you are with Jesus in prayer. Each thing you learn along the way is a little card and you begin to stack it up nicely and neatly on this table. And what happens is, you begin after many years of being with Jesus and following Jesus, to create a pretty big stack of cards, right? Now what the problem is, is if your table is anything but Jesus, if your table is a system of theology that you inherited by your denomination, if your table is a system of theology you inherited from some book, or God help us, me, and I fail you, or all of a sudden a new life experience comes and you don't have the system to deal with that, what happens to the cards that you've built up no matter how long you've built them? When you sweep the table out from under that card, the whole thing tumbles, yes? Now Jesus says in Matthew, after the Sermon on the Mount, anyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like someone who built their house upon a what? A rock. The best table for your life is to hear and put into practice all that Jesus has commanded. All that Jesus is. He is the best table. And if your table is not Jesus, when that family member dies and someone says, well, it's God's will, amen, glory, hallelujah, and that doesn't seem to jive with you, then you've got a problem. If you are marching along your life and all of a sudden this sinner comes and repents and says, Jesus, you're my king, and six months later is looking a lot more like Jesus than you, I think your table was some kind of religiosity of who's in and who's out, and when that happens, that's going to crumble unless Jesus is your table. If you're reading the Scriptures and something doesn't make sense to you, and you begin to say, that doesn't look like a God who is love. And you don't sit there and say, wait a minute, what if I started with Jesus and said, Jesus is the fullest revelation of all God is. And God was pleased to reveal Himself in Jesus. When that is your foundation and you work backward, then I submit to you that those cards won't tumble. 
And when you build your house on Jesus, you understand that you will never have all the answers, but he will be enough. You will never have all the answers to your questions. But the good news is, answers are not a precondition for Jesus' love for you. Can I say that again? Because you're hot and about to fall asleep. You will never have all the answers, but good news, answers are not a precondition for being welcomed and loved and embraced and healed and taught and cared for. Jesus is the only table on which our church is to be built up. Because God the Father and the Spirit were pleased to dwell in this person, Jesus. And so we look not just to a lifestyle modeled after His, but all of the beliefs need to be squarely, firmly centralized in Jesus and His message of the kingdom of God. We're a church that's gathered around Jesus, following Jesus together, and proclaiming the reign of Jesus to the world. Who are we? We're a Jesus church, a believing church. We're gathered around Jesus, following Jesus, saying Jesus is King. What are we supposed to do? Well, we saw tonight, at the very least, we're supposed to make more little Jesus is. Are we doing that? Are we doing it not just in this space, because it's too dang hot, Are we doing it in our communities and living rooms? Are we doing it to our children? Are we going out and saying, there's a better way, there's life, and it's a day-to-day life with Him, not just something you check off and get a ticket? Are we making disciples, church? I know we're not baptizing so much, but when these disciples come, and it's okay that there's not a million people here, because we're still learning to be with Jesus. But in order for our believing church to have a future, we want to have more people adopted through the waters, dying to self, living to Jesus. What are we called to do? At least the third thing is to continue to teach them the Jesus way and the Jesus message, period. So if you're okay to be in a church that has Jesus and His message at the center, and you're okay to let all these issues of hell and how God works and plans in His life, if you're okay to let revelation and uh, all of that sort itself out, and if you're okay with not ducking for cover every time the Supreme Court does something that doesn't look like Jesus, and you don't think that all hell is going, you know, this country's going to hell in the handbasket, if you're okay to fix your eyes on Jesus and let everything else be colored in and filled in by His way and His message, then this is a great church for you. This is not a church that I will download every little thought and belief to you because I trust that you will gather around Jesus with all your questions and all your doubts and you will also watch gather with everyone else and walk together. Don't cycle out because you have doubts and questions. Don't cycle out because you don't like something that I said tonight. Do it together. Talk together. Process together. And the way that we're able to do this, this risky operation of Jesus sending us out to go and be that gospel and preach that gospel is because of the final words he shares to his disciples. And surely I am with you Always, to the very end of the age, in this moment, where do you need Jesus with you? Don't just, it's not rhetorical. 
think in your head and your heart, in what relationship does Jesus need to enter in? In fact, He's already there. In what relationship do you need to be reminded that He is with you and He is calling for life and kingdom in places of death and brokenness? In what situation at work and in your financial life, in your spiritual life, do you need to take your eyes off of your circumstances and look to Jesus and hear Him say, Surely I'm with you. Quit trying to do it yourself. I am with you. And when you look at those steps down the road and the future seems frightening, can you believe that the future can be friend because behold, I am with you even to the end? Do you have a vision of your last breath? If God gives you 60 more years, 50 more years, do you have a vision of laying on your bed and the last breath is a breath of release into the loving arms of the one who is with you even to the end of the age. And if you don't, maybe you need to, in a place of imagination and prayer, bring that to your day-to-day reality and know that He can be just as with you then as He is now. And the future need not be frightening. It can be friend because your friend Jesus is always with you. He is always with us. And perfect love casts out fear. And you need to recognize that He is stronger than all the crap that you're dealing with in your life right now. And if you don't believe me, Gather around Jesus, follow him with us, and proclaim that there is a good and better way to this world than what we see. And that is how a Jesus church and a believing church can follow in the footsteps of the king in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for all of our brothers and sisters that you've brought to yourself. We are so grateful for your presence among us and in us, and we pray that you would work mightily through us in this neighborhood. And we pray that we would be a people gathered around your son, Jesus, who came and is with us. We pray that we would make many more disciples in your name, not because we need more people in this hot auditorium, but because we're just so fired up about you and how you can knock our socks off. We pray, Lord, that you would speak in these moments as we come to the table, that we would build ourselves up on the firm foundation of all that he is, and that we would hear him remind us that you're present, that we don't have to do it alone because you're with us and you've given a people to us. So Lord, speak truth, speak kindness, speak goodness, speak mercy, and may we follow you as citizens of your kingdom to the end of the age. In the name of Jesus, our King, amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. We do this every week at our church. And um, we invite all of those who have been born and are built into disciples, whatever questions you have, whatever church background you came from, if you are in Christ, you're invited to Christ in the bread and the wine. We have juice, we have wine, and we pray that it's just a reminder to you that we are in Christ together. 
It's called communion for a reason because we do it together as a church. We are not lone rangers here and Christ died for all and also for you. So you're invited to come to spend a few moments in prayer where you sit. You can pray with me if you'd like when I'm done serving and you're of course welcome to sing and pray as we go out from this place. So would you stand and let's come to the table.